to the Employer Blueprint Podcast, where we help leaders build great teams for great companies with your host, entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. Here's an interesting question for you. Are you making what you are worth? I would guess that most people listening to this right now would answer no to that question, that you are not making what you're worth. And if you own a business, believe it or not, you have a lot of control over that. Uh, on this week's episode, um, Rob and I break down some a lot of information. We go through a lot of topics that I think are incredibly valuable and beneficial. Um, but the one thing that we are going to talk about is this concept of profit first. So if you hear nothing else on today's episode, make sure that you really pay attention to this. It will be worth your time. Uh, and then go do some research on this concept of profit first. And as Robert first it is engineering your profit. Um, we also uh, dive into something, as you know, near and dear to my heart as it relates to recruiting and hiring and making making sure we're bringing on the best employees. Um, but uh, a lot of great information provided. Rob's company, Cogent Analytics, um, uh, helps small and medium-sized businesses with these types of issues, plus much, much more. Rob also provides us a great offer at the end. So make sure you pay attention to the end as he puts out an offer for all of our listeners. Uh, hope you really enjoy this week's episode. Please be sure you hit that subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And also, if you would, leave us a review. It's not something I ask for very often, uh, but I would love if you could just leave us a quick review in iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcast about uh, how you enjoy the show. And as always, if you have any questions, if there's any topics you'd like to hear more about, please reach out to us. And you can do that at podcast at employerblueprint.com. Thanks so much and have an amazing day. Well, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Look forward to bringing you some great information uh, from our guest this week, um, who has a ton of experience uh, in small business, around small and mid-sized companies, and being able to help them become better, stronger, more effective businesses. Um, you know, we none of us get into business and say, "I'd like to be average." Uh, we all get into business because we want to be great at what we do. But the reality is there are times that when we wear the hats of day-to-day -day business and face the challenges of day-to-day -day business, that we look back and realize uh, we are average. We're just okay. And when that happens, we can lean on people like Rob, our guest today, and his company to help us figure out where those areas are that we need to improve on and what we can do better. So, Rob, thank you for joining us today. And as we get started, kind of walk us through your history and experience and got you to where you are now. Absolutely. First and foremost, Kyle, it's an, it's an honor and privilege of uh, you have me on the show today. So, first off, I will say thank you for that. Um, I have been advising small business owners for 17 years. Now, if I dial all the way back to the beginning of time, uh, I, I graduated high school. I did a semester of college, knew it wasn't the right point in my life at that point in time. My father passed away when I was young and I joined the military. Mm -hmm. So I had the privilege of serving with 1st Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group. Um, you know, there's always a little bit of luck and a little bit of dedication that goes along with life. Uh, after, after the military, um, I started with just the first job. I was still relatively young at the time, but very, very quickly, by the time I was 26, um, years old, I had my first taste of equity. I had somebody recruit me 
to help him develop his company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that went along with my first 2% uh, equity, went to 3% equity. And I, and I got the bug, right? I knew at the end of the day, entrepreneurship and, and really growing and doing something special in life was my path. Yeah. Uh, I found another equity partner and he and I built three different companies together. Mm-hmm. We sold one um, and... And then I sold out to him about a year and a half later and moved my, my wife closer to her family down here in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, I was going to open another company uh, of my own accord, got a loan from the bank, you know, just about the time they said, yep, you're approved. I decided to interview some jobs, which blew my wife away, as you can imagine, I think. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you probably have some listeners today. They're like, oh, I've, I, I know that story. So. <laughs> My wife and I have been together for 24 years come this last Monday and it's, uh, you know, the wife of an entrepreneur, it's definitely worthy of a journey. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I interviewed for five jobs. I think I had four job offers and I always say I was dumb enough to, to accept the position of business analyst working for another consultancy. Mm-hmm. And that's where the journey really started. You know, I've had the privilege of, of working with the American family business, Again, for 17 years of my life, um, first was under somebody else's banner. And I started Cogent Analytics in 2014 because I thought if I was going to continue to represent small business owners, it had to be based on my value system Mm -hmm. and not somebody else's. You know, one of the things that's wrong with the consulting world is sometimes it becomes more about the build hour than it becomes about actually making a difference. Right. Right. And so I'm, I'm trying to disrupt the industry a little bit. You know, if you look at our current business model, you know, client retention, client first, mm-hmm. working through problems after you engage with the client, because most often a fix doesn't happen when you first engage and fix. It's kind of like surgery and physical therapy. Right. You know, if somebody goes through surgery, you may fix the shoulder, but it's the physical therapy that gets you healthy. Exactly. And yeah. and we do a lot of, you know, engagement with the client post, you know, pro bono post project. Yeah. To make sure people don't digress to bad behavior. So that's yeah. a really long answer to a short question. I think that's Rob Brayman in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, Coaching Analytics is born out of a, a simple simple set of values. It's honor, courage, wisdom, faith, perseverance, and loyalty. That goes back to my military days. That's tenants of strength, power, and character, and I, I don't break them for anybody. Yeah, that's good. And uh, and that is one thing that I really like about what you've created there is, um, you know, if people go out and they they look up information on you and they, they see some of the things you've got out there and that your company has out there, um, you're very open about your core values. And um, uh, that that's that's part of the language of your organization. It's not just a plaque hanging on a wall saying this is who we are and this is what we believe in. But it's 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 obviously part of the fabric of your organization. Uh, it's become part of uh, kind of the vernacular of of the way that you all operate. And I think that that's really commendable because it's easy for companies to get away from that um, as they build out their organization. And so I think it's good that you've made that sort of a staple. Um, one of the things, one of the things that I find really interesting about what you talked about here, is um, 
what's happened in the consulting world, I shouldn't say what's happened because I think it's been this way for a while. I don't think we've seen a shift. I think the reality is in the consulting world, to your point, is often about those billable hours. Um, and uh, you've, you've probably read this book because it kind of speaks some to that uh, in, in an ancillary way. Patrick Lencioni has a book about, uh, I think it's called Getting Naked. And he actually talks about that, cons- you know, he's, he's using the narrative of a consulting firm and um, how this consulting firm, you know, some of them go in with their um, presentation. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is the step process, blah, blah, blah. And if you hire us, this is how we're going to be able to help you. And another firm that goes in and says, how can we help? And we're going to start helping you to That's the point right. that you you sort of become necessary to them because your focus is on helping them, not checkbox signing a new client. Um, and, uh, and and I think that's really telling, especially in today's market when people have become so much more focused sort of bottom line and less maybe client centric. So um, as you created the model and as you've created your business, how has this client focused approach changed the client type that you're able to work with and the impact that it's had on those clients because of having a slightly different approach to how you're working with them? I had, and I said in our opening, I had the, the privilege of, of representing um, some, and I lost count along the way, but somewhere between 1,500 and 1,800 small businesses ranging between, you know, two and 200 million over a period of about 11 years. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the life lesson that you walk away f- with from that type of experience is entrepreneurs typically go into business not as, not as a business person, but really a skill set, a trade. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a core set of skills that they can monetize. Mm-hmm. And, and once you realize, and, and I, you know, you could do big box, but that, Big box is unpersonal. You know, the, the family owned business, when you're, when you're having a conversation with two brothers or a husband and a wife or a mom and a daughter who have gone into business together, you realize very quickly that the business for an entrepreneur is as much about the impact of family, mm-hmm. impact to retirement, impact to putting your kids through college, impact to, to, you know, increasing equity value that you can't, they're inextricably combined. You cannot separate the entrepreneur's business from the yeah. impact to the family and more importantly, the impact to the employees and their families. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I always say that there's a different core value set for entrepreneurs, a little different than big corporate in that, you know, small business owners are, are honorable, caring, they care about their employees. Every employee has value. And, and don't, don't get me wrong, Kyle, there are there's a broad spectrum of personalities in sure. small business. You know, yeah. you get the Mimi Imes, as I call them, you know, yeah. how much can I fill my pocket with and how fast? Yeah. Um, but by and large, right. What, what got me to look at what I was going to do for the rest of my life um, are those really personal moments you spend with business owners. You know, every business doing well can be done better. Mm-hmm. Every business that's having some challenges obviously can be improved upon. I've had the privilege of doing turnarounds with a number of families. When I mean, you think about the impact to, to not just the business owner, but their employees, their, their vendors, when a business goes out, the impact it has on other businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I stepped back, you know, probably in the last two or three years when I was working for somebody else and said, you know, 
I, I can no longer look at this as uh, a profession where I'm making a living. It's got to be about a profession that I'm making a living and making a difference. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really how I, um, how I talk to my people every day. You know, you, you brought up the core value system and the fabric of this company. I would, I would challenge anybody listening today to talk to any one of the family members around here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always make a joke out of it. I'm building a family that acts like a business from time to time. But if you talk to any of the family members around here, you know, it, it truly is part of our culture. It's part of who we are. It's part of our belief structure. Um, and I think that's important. If we talked about culture to the small business center, this dialogue really isn't about Rob Raymond and coach and analytics. It, it's about your listeners and their businesses. And we, and when we talk about culture, you know, your businesses are made better or made great by the mission and vision and plan and communication that you put together with your team. And, you know, you really know you've hit a home run when, when it's not about you, it's about your team making that, that vision better and, and building it into something great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, uh, and I like how you are able to kind of see and recognize that connection too in the impact that a small business owner has um, much greater than just simply uh, earning a living, making a paycheck um, and, and kind of running a, a quote business, but, but actually making an impact. Um, so Rob, I know, uh, you know, at Cogent Analytics, you all do a lot. Uh, there are a lot of services that are offered to be able to help businesses. Um, you know, there are a couple of things. One in particular, I'd like to dive into a little bit is, uh, the strategic planning. And, and the reason I want to talk about that is because there are a lot of small and mid-sized company owners out there um, that when they're thinking about some sort of coaching or some sort of consulting that they may need, um, you know, they may think about profit analysis. They may talk about uh, how we develop a stronger leadership team. Um, they may be, you know, understanding we've got to streamline some processes or build out a better um, sales channel or marketing plan and things like that. But a lot of companies of that size don't necessarily think about strategic planning as something that they, as a smaller midsize company should be doing. Um, 100% agree. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things you think of either for nonprofits or huge companies, you know, they've got to put these huge plans out. So I want to dive into the concept of strategic planning for a small and midsize company. So my first question along those lines would be, um, just the simple, why would a small business care about strategic planning? Well, if you'll afford me a little latitude on this question, um, I developed what's called the profit platform, which really are the pillars of business, business development, organizational engineering, operational engineering, and measurement, financial and operational. Mm-hmm. And around that, around that grouping of pillars is the strategic planning bubble. So the Venn diagrams on our website, we omitted the strategic planning bubble because it took up too much landscape <laughs> and it really took away from the other pillars, but it's critical to the Venn diagram. And it's something I, I put in place 13 or 14 years ago as a communication device with clients. Yeah. Um, any one of those pillars that are weak, remember a business is an organism. Right. So if any one of those pillars are weak in the business, it's going to detract from profitability. Mm-hmm. So what you historically see in our world is companies that underperform relative to net profit because they don't plan for profit first. 
Mm-hmm. Now, planning has a lot of impacts. It impacts how we go to market, what we're going to sell, what products are going to generate the most gross margin contribution, what products are we more frequent to sell. Um, if you skip over into the organizational engineering box with growth, you historically need to hire people and or promote people into positions for sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. If, if you jump down to operations, you know, you've got your people pillar and you get down into operations and you are staying the same or planning to grow, but you have to plan for how you get those efficiencies out of your operational and operations is the product you're delivering to market. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great question. When you start with Rob, tell me how strategic planning is going to impact the small business center. Kyle, I would say to you that in absence of strategic planning, you have a hope or a wish, mm-hmm. right? Because that's your roadmap. You know, whether you're talking about a financial roadmap or an operational roadmap or a human resource roadmap or how you're going to measure your activities in the business to make it mm-hmm. create a predetermined net profit. And I'm purposely using those words. Most mm-hmm. small business owners, profit is residual. Um, profit is the oxygen to your business. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you fail to plan, you end up with a hope or a wish. Right. Um, and, and I think if I can communicate this point a little bit differently, profit is engineered. It is a predetermined thing and it is a must mm-hmm. to be able to not just fund your debt, fund your growth, pay your taxes because probably 90% of the people that are listening to this podcast today are either structures an S or an LLC mm-hmm. or a sole proprietorship. Right. And real income from a small business is generated less through your paycheck than it is through the money that is residual after you've covered all your other obligations. You know, you're right. even if even if you're a sole owner, you've got a couple of partners, right? The mm-hmm. government's your partner in the form of tax. <laughs> The bank's definitely your partner because he gets paid first. Mm -hmm. And then most people don't consider that growth costs money. That's why most businesses go out when they, when they grow too fast. Right. You hear that story where you got a profitable company that grew too fast and they ran out of money. Mm -hmm. That, that is a really long answer to short question. Sorry for babbling on. No, 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 no. I think that's great. And I, and I want to dive into this because I suspect you've probably confused some people when you talk about profit being engineered and the concept of profit first. So let's talk about that as well. Um, you know, if, if, um, if, you know, if I understand this correctly, as I, as I believe that I do anyway, you know, what we've got to do within our business is we've got, you know, a profit is almost like a, uh, if I can simplify it, profit is almost like a top line item in our expenses as we would look at our P&L. So we know this much is going towards profit, just like we know this much is going towards the bank, this much is going towards technology, this much is going towards marketing. We are making a decision early on to say this much is going towards profit. And now you're speaking my language. Okay. And then, and so then the rest of that. So, but that is a, that is a foreign concept to a lot of people in business. So, Amen. Um, for someone that is out there right now that's listening to this and saying, well, that sounds all great and good, Rob, but man, I'm, you know, I'm struggling to make it. I'm, I own my own business and I'm making $60,000 a year and I'm just happy to be doing that. I've got 10 employees and you know, we're just, I'm trying to keep my head above water. And now you're saying I've got to try to engineer profit. So how, what steps do we put in place? How do we do that? 
So, I, so what I typically do, because I've had that exact conversation with a client um, yeah. more than a dozen times. So we'll, we'll stop there. Yeah. You know, conceptually, most small business centers, when I say they look at it as a residual, it's kind of just what's left over after I go work 60 hours a week. Right. And, and if I can flip it on its head, most people who look at their P&L, if they look at their P&L, and you probably got some listeners on the, 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 the podcast today that are looking at their P&L once every three or four or five months because their accountant does their P&L. And, they, and I always say, that's your money, right? If you're not going to control it, I promise your accountant's not going to control it for you. Yeah. But let me flip it on its head. Revenue less profit equals what you get to spend, not revenue less what I spent mm-hmm. equals what I get to keep. Right. Right. So, so if we talk about engineering profit and uh, you know, what it basically says is you are entitled remember you're taking the risk with the bank. Mm-hmm. You're the one working the 60, 70, 80 hours a week, staying up at night taking the phone calls, trying to figure out how to make payroll. If, if you look at your profit as the oxygen in the room, mm-hmm. it changes the behavior of a small business owner. It's going to change how you manage your people. It's going to change how you bid your work. It's going to change how you go to market. It's going to change how you manage your sales staff. It's going to change the obligation you hold your other people that are you know, maybe you've got a superintendent. Maybe you've got somebody you call a manager. Maybe you've got somebody that is a production supervisor. Mm-hmm. That conversation with those folks dramatically changes once everybody realizes they've got to fight for, you know, that, that good work every day to, yeah. to generate that profit. That's why I love incentives so much, but well, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a discussion for a different day. Yeah. And I, and I agree. Cause I'd love to get into that as well. Cause I'm a, uh, I'm a big advocate of, of that as well. Looking at incentive pay and contribution compensation. Um, so, um, so one of the other things that I want to make sure people understand as we talk about this profit first concept is understanding what your actual profit is, because I think there's sometimes, especially in small, and I'd say maybe more so smaller business, mid-sized, um, small, yeah, the understanding of um, gross versus net and um, and kind of cost of goods, and so it. it you know, if someone may think they're a $5 million business, when in reality, when you break it down, they're a million dollar business because it's $4 million in, uh, in cost of goods. There's $4 million just simply for the price of admission of being able to do business and whatever the product mm-hmm. or service is that you're offering. And so well said. When, we, when we look at engineering the profit line, we need to engineer it based on the true kind of dollar figure that runs through our business as operating expenses or as potential um, operating expenses, not as that gross number that we say, well, I'm a $5 million business, but uh, I have $4 million worth of, of product throughout the year that's sitting on my shelf. Um, you need to do it on the money that's actually part of your business to, to pay expenses from. And I, I probably didn't explain that real well, but... Um, um, do you mind if I jump in? Yeah, yeah, please. So the direct and uh, real quick, remember you have direct cost, indirect cost, and SGNA. Right. Some people refer to that as variable, semi-variable, and SGNA. But let's not do a full geek out session, you and I. <laughs> they think about direct cost as the cost associated with physically producing your product. Yeah. So manpower. Right. 
material costs. These are things that are very specifically above that gross margin line. You have to have revenue less your direct cost equals your gross margin. Yeah. And I've looked at hundreds of profit and loss statements where people say revenue less everything else equals profit. So it's like gross margin equals the same thing as the revenue line. You, you, it's impossible to effectively run a business because all of everything above the line goes to efficiency yeah. and how you are actually purchasing, buying, managing. That's the direct side of your business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Indirect is what it costs you to support the production of your goods, right? doesn't matter whether you're a service company, construction company, tech company, yeah. that is the service line that supports your direct goods that you sell. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, SG&A, and most people don't break it out, then I'm doing this on purpose because we'll talk about break even in a second. Mm -hmm. SG&A is your, and you've probably heard your accountant say this, fixed cost in your business. That's your lights, yep. that's your insurance, that's your, so you get, a, you get a measure of what I'm talking about, right? But it stands for selling, and general administrative expense. So there's some yeah. sales cost in there that you attribute to it to get to your net margin. Um, that's how you build a break even and that's how you really get to that engineered profit line. Mm -hmm. So yeah. again, I don't want to geek out too far. You could get me up on a soapbox. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, this, you know, if, um, if people hear nothing else, I guess, from this week as they're listening to the show, I want to, I would highly encourage you to go do some research on this concept of profit first, because that by itself could revolutionize your business. I mean, it could Amen. completely change your business, provide you more freedom than you ever realized you had. Um, so if, if you hear nothing else, pay attention to nothing else. And if you don't understand anything that we've talked about the last five minutes, go do some research on the concept of profit first and um, paying the business and paying yourself first and how you can actually do that in a way that you aren't working 80 hours a week for a $50,000 a year job and yet, and still have all the liability of owning the business. Um, and I'll help, and I'll help you with a, a couple of resources. We have yeah. some case studies and some white papers on this very particular topic. So if you okay. want to just go to the website, go to the resource tab, I'm a diehard believer, give people, you know, the knowledge and they will, you know, raise others up and you will rise, Kyle. It's a, mm -hmm. a simple yeah. philosophy, but I'm a, I'm a believer. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, make sure, make sure you go check out that information. If you are, um, if you're questioning what in the world we were just talking about, because it truly can revolutionize your business. I know it did for us when we went to that model, um, some time ago, it, it just really does make a huge difference in how you see the expenses in your business. And, um, and there are even some accountants out there that understand it and specialize in running your books that way. So um, if, if your accountant doesn't understand the concept of profit first, you may want to shop that around a little bit. Um, so uh, it, anyway, I know we kind of got off on a, on a little bit of a tangent there, Rob, but I appreciate it because that's some incredibly valuable information. Um, so something else that I want to talk about, I'm, I'm a big leadership um, uh, nerd. You know, I, I love uh, kind of the understanding of business leadership and the way people think and the way that they operate and leadership principles that we've developed and that we teach on. Um, and obviously, 
whenever you're working with a business with poor leadership, we're probably not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, I, I like to think of strategic planning as kind of the GPS roadmap to your target. Um, the leadership is the car you're getting in. And if your car is rusted and the engine doesn't run, it's probably not going to go anywhere. So, Whenever you are working with a business um, and trying to develop and strengthen the leadership of that business, kind of talk us through maybe just a couple of key things that you either generally see or a couple of key things that you try to impress upon them and how they can operate more effectively to help lead the organization and lead their team. That, you know, there's an old adage that says you want the right tush in the right chair, you want the right hat on the right person. Um, interestingly enough, most small business owners, when you first start with two guys in a truck, mm-hmm. um, and you know, sorry for the metaphor, but when you start it really small, your your first goal is to get some business, go do the business and get paid. Right. Yeah. You start doing that well, you do it honorably. Next thing you know, you're hiring another person and you're adding another truck. And and Three years down the road, you look over your shoulder and you've got 15 people working in your business yeah. and you're actually making, you know, about the same thing you were doing when it was you guy in a truck. <laughs> but um, interestingly, small business owners historically promote the people they trust mm-hmm. more than they actively look for the people they have to have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, they grow their people as best they can based on the way they see their vision in the business. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to hiring, because there's not really an exercise that small business going, it's kind of like being a parent. Mm -hmm. Nobody teaches you how to be a parent when you're, when your first son or daughter is born and you got to kind of figure it out. Yeah. Right hats on the right heads and actually having a skills assessment where you understand what resource is going to bring to your company and then setting very clear measurement and expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what that communication device, clear vision, clear mission, clear measurement mm-hmm. allows you to have better conversation and control of where your company's going. And that, that speaks directly to the organi- organizational engineering pillar. Yeah. Um, it's, it's how you hire, how you retain, how you train, how you remunerate, Right, all falls under the organizational engineering pillar. Right. Um, so I think you spoke to it very eloquently. You know, a lot of a lot of business owners promote people they have because they trust them more than they actively seek out the resources they need to run a better business. That's right. Um, yeah. Hiring is tough. You know, I always say the first ninety days. The first 90 days is kind of like you're dating. You know, anybody can come in and join your organization and look really, really good for 90 days. Yeah. At about the 90 day mark, you kind of figure out who they really are. Yeah. The worst stories I will ever, you know, if if I can avoid some of your listeners going down this trap, you know, the funny part about it is people hire and about the night, they're amazing first 90 days and about the 90th to 180th day, they go, wow, I don't think I got what I really wanted. Yeah. Well, the worst part of that story, and I've seen this hundreds of times, that same person is still working there two years yes. after the business owner knew that it was problematic. Right, right. And instead of instead of having that accountability in place and knowing that you got to let somebody go mm-hmm. and recruiting before you make the decision, mm-hmm. it's a cycle that you go through to find that right person that's going to align with your value system, align with your right. culture. And if you keep somebody in the company when when they're obviously not 
part of your culture. They're obviously not part of the family. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt your business. It's going to hurt your profit line. It's going to hurt your production line. It's going to hurt your right. cut, you know, the people you're doing business with. Yeah. Um, so please, 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 you know, failing to recruit the right person is not a measure of who you are, mm-hmm. right? You don't attach ego to it. Right. It's, it is a good best guess for every business owner out there mm-hmm. to seek out, do a skills assessment, find the right person, and then put them in the chair. The first 90 to 180 days is, is the honeymoon phase. Right. The faster you can recognize, is this person climbing the value mountain mm-hmm. or are they, or are they just not there? The quicker you can react to that and put your pole in the water and fish again, to find the absolute right person, that is so critical to the success of an organically grown company. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You're you're speaking my language here, Rob. So that's actually um, so you know in, in our recruiting, our talent acquisition company, that's actually the exact reason why we offer a six month guarantee on our service mm-hmm. is because it's generally in the fourth most companies in our space offer a ninety day guarantee. That's right. And when I was developing this business model several years ago, and I was doing some research, so what I did, you know, different than than a lot of people do. So I did not go out and research any competitors. I just looked at what's the research, what what's where's the need in this space. And one of the things that I found is that it was generally in the fourth and fifth month. It was during the fourth and fifth month that the employer recognized a poor decision. So. To your point, the first 90 days, you kind of are in that honeymoon period. The employees, you know, they, they've got their I's dotted and their T's crossed. They're showing up on time. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're learning. They're trying to figure it all out. Um, and then it's usually in that fourth or fifth month that all of a sudden they kind of take that deep breath and they relax and then they start to start to show their true colors. And so that being the case, I said, well, if, if they're going to recognize it in the fourth or fifth month, um, and I forget what it is now, of course, this was years ago whenever I was developing the model, but I think it was like 75 or 80% of the time it was it was within that period, that fourth and fifth month that, that uh, hiring managers and business owners recognized the, the, the bad hire. Um, and so I said, well, if that's the case, then we need to offer a six-month guarantee instead of a three-month guarantee because, uh, you know, it, the way that I often put it, I mean, it'd be like me guaranteeing your air conditioner for, for three months when I know it's going to go bad at five. Um, so I'm going to give you a six-month guarantee to prove like we, we really believe and we know how to provide the service that we do. And, and, the, and the thing that I want to piggyback on what you talked about there is that, that understanding of ego. It's you got into business because of your strengths and skill set probably within an industry. Um, most people do not get into business because their strengths and skills in leadership and hiring and employee retention. That's if you got into that business, you got into an HR consulting business. So that's not where your biz, that's not where your strength is. And that's okay. So for the same reason that you lean on your accountant to handle the financial aspect of your business, the same reason you lean on an attorney to make sure to look all, all over your, you know, your contracts and the legal language, it's okay to look for support related to leadership related to uh, hiring and retention and leading of employees because the reality is that's not where your strength was. That's not where you started the business. And that's not a bust to your ego. It's let's focus on where your strengths are and let's make you, let's make you the best at those things that you can be and then lean on other people to help you with these other areas. So I'm glad you mentioned that. That's um, I think it's incredibly valuable for people to hear and understand that that's a normal part of business. And let me tell you, you're not alone. 
if you're out there, you're saying, uh, gosh, I made this higher. And, and to your point, there, you know, here they are two years later. First of all, you have lost tens of thousands, if tens not of thousands. thousands of dollars by keeping that person on staff. And one of the worst things that I hear is when someone say, well, I can't afford to get rid of them. You can't afford to keep them. In absence of standard, substandard becomes your standard. That's right. So if you have an individual in your company that is setting the lowest bar, he's never going to reach up and try to be the best of the best. The risk is Mm -hmm. you have some people that are the best of the best and believe they can work down to that level because it must be okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and we've seen this a lot happen in the last few years as the labor market has kind of shrunk. We yeah. see this and I, and I bet I talk to this once a week um, that you cannot, you cannot flex from your core values. You cannot flex on, on the core um, foundation of who you are as a business simply because you don't want to risk losing an employee. Because once you flex on it once, that's exactly what you're saying here. Once you flex on it once, you've proven to everybody it's not really a core value anymore. It's that's really right. not a foundation of who we are anymore. It used to be, but it's really not anymore. But not anymore. Right. And so uh, we, we hear that happen a lot when people say, well, we can't afford to get rid of them, or I don't know what we would do without them, or, well, we can't find other people, so we've got to handle this. Well, I strongly disagree. I mean, the business is going to be better long term. Is it going to be a bump in the road? Absolutely. It's going to be a tough month and a half, but it's better to do that and have the right person in place long-term. I have a metaphor that I, it's a story that I've been telling an anecdotal that I've been telling for good golly, 15, 16 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was born out of a client that was a competitive fisher, Mm. right? He was a competitive bass fisherman. And, you know, I I really had to put into context for him. I said, when you're out there in a competition and you put your pole in the water, and you pull that first fish out of the boat and, and it, you know, they're minimum standard. You got, you got a 12 inch fish as a minimum standard before you can put it in the well. Right. I said, so what do you do when you put your pole in the water and you fish and you pull up 11 inch fish? Do you try to wait around and put it in the well till it becomes a 13 inch fish and then you get to keep it? <laughs> That's excellent. Or, or do you actually hire the 12-inch fish? Yeah. Every once in a while, you're going to catch a fish that's an 8, 9, 10-inch fish. Right. Put it back in the water, let it grow up, and let's go hunting for the 12-inch or better fish. Yeah. And for that, I happen to know that client still today. For that client, it was a pivotal moment. Yeah. In just the simplest metaphorical story, there is no way he would ever put a fish in a well to let it grow an inch but by the time that competition was over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a great <laughs> metaphor. I like that. I, I may steal that from you, Rob. I really like that. Have at. Because <laughs> uh, that, that's exactly right. And, and we see it happen all the time. And I, and I think, you know, in a larger business, I mean, when you talk about a big, uh, you know, these huge companies, um, people can kind of just, they can fill they can in hide. gaps. They can hide. Things can happen. But you take a smaller, mid-sized company, one person, can can absolutely ruin the culture of an organization um, in a heartbeat, and and so we have to be really protective and careful of that in the small business world, and making sure that we understand every hire is important, no matter where they sit in the hierarchy on the org chart. Every hire is important. Each person is important, and they all play a pivotal role, not only in in the job responsibility, but in the culture of the organization. And um, and as soon as we start. 
um, adjusting and adapting our culture simply to fit an individual within the company, we lose the, our credibility as leaders. And so we have to be really careful with that. People want leadership is the funny part about it, Kyle. I, I, and, you know, after, aside from being an entrepreneur and being on my fourth business, aside from representing thousands, you know, what I've found, and I've done tens of thousands of employee and senior leadership interviews now in my career, people want a clear mission. People want a clear vision. People want clear guidance. People want clear governance. And it's interesting because the entrepreneurs will always say, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that big corporate guy. And my message is, I'm not asking you to be big corporate. What makes you great is that you're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But you can't throw out the science of business because it's proven to work in both little itty-bitty businesses right. and great big businesses. The best part about your company is you get to be the one to set the mission. You get to be the one to set the value. You get to be the one to set how you're going to communicate. Yeah. But don't don't choose to do none of those things because in principle, all of those things have proven to work and your people absolutely will respect you more. They will follow your guidance. Mm-hmm. They want to climb the hill. You just got to tell them what, where the handholds and the, and the footholds are. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I, I could not agree more. Um, and that's part of what makes the small business community so great is the opportunity and ability to do those things. But the reality is uh, we need help. And there are certain things that we have blind spots just like yours and, and your company are able to come in, help them see those things, see what they do well and make them better. Uh, see what they, they may be the blind spots they have and open their eyes to them so they can improve. Um, so Rob, I really appreciate just some uh, great information here today. Appreciate you sharing it and your openness to that. Uh, I highly encourage everybody. We'll put a link to their website uh, in the show notes, but I highly encourage you to go check that out, get some of the resources they have out there um, and see, you know, how it may help you and your business as well. So Rob, thanks so much for everything you're doing to help the small business community uh, at a time that, that, you know, we often feel like we're all alone. Um, Kyle, I haven't, I have an offer for your listeners and I've done this on all of our previous podcasts. Um, You know, we do a discovery process, which, you know, doesn't commit you to consulting. The discovery in our model is a deliverable unto unto itself. It's a two to three day boots on the ground, really peeling of the onion, right? You just got to go in emotionally that, Either it's a sweet Vidalia and you can eat it like an apple or it's one of those cherry reds that'll have you crying at the board. Any, I, either side of that spectrum is fine. Yeah. The, the best part about it is it empowers you to have control of your business. You know, it uncovers things that maybe you knew, but, but put some framework on how to address them. Mm-hmm. And it will always uncover areas that you had not considered. It's a powerful, powerful tool. Mm-hmm. It, it engages you on a very personal, you, the business owner, your leadership group, and your employees, right? It sets the foundation for where you want to go, whether you're talking about the remainder of 19 or moving and looking forward to 2020 and beyond. Right. That discovery process we will do with any one of your listeners for $1,200 boots on the ground wow. with one of our professionals working with you and your team to identify those areas of opportunity that make you stronger. 
Wow. That's great. That's great. Well, Rob, thank you so much. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, we will, we'll get a link. Uh, so you can check that out if you're wondering how to get some more information and you can obviously go directly to cogentanalytics.com um, for some more information on, on them and their services as well. Rob, other than the website, um, you know, is there any other place we can get some more information about what you or your company are doing and, and some of the resources that you have out there? Absolutely. You can um, dial one eight three three four my profit That's 833, the number four, my profit Call in direct. You can ask for either any one of our directors. You can ask for me personally. Um, we have published any one of a number of podcasts, broadcasts. There is a massive amount of content that we make available to you. If, if you're not one of those folks that like to go on a website and leave a bunch of information, I get it. You can download. We have eBooks on particular issues that will help you kind of self-identify. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm a, I'm a diehard believer in knowledge first is empowerment. Mm-hmm. So take advantage, go download an ebook, go get some information, empower yourself. The best part of, of entrepreneurship is the journey, even though it doesn't seem that way sometimes. Right. Um, right. You know, God bless. It is, it is, uh, it's an adventure. Take it from a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the, you know, don't let adversity make you believe it defines you in some way. It's what you do next that is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Rob, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to share with us today. And uh, thank you for the great offer to the listeners. We'll be sure that they get some information on that and um, appreciate uh, the journey that you've been on and your willingness to share with others. Honor and a privilege, Kyle. Thank you for having me. Today. Thanks for joining us on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to receive the latest episodes. For more information on how Employer Blueprint can help build great teams in your business, visit EmployerBlueprint.com. Or to inquire about Kyle speaking at your next event, visit KyleGorman.com. And until next time, make it a great day. Yeah.